0: Good morning, if you could open your Bibles to Colossians 1. You know, it's great to have part of your sermon preached during worship and from the prophecy, Mike. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> we are continuing a short series on our core value of spiritual growth. And originally, uh, Jake Martin was going to be our reader this morning. And for some reason, he got a sub. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why. Like, the, the wedding was yesterday. <laughs> but Ricky has agreed to sub for him. And yes. Right. <clears throat> and he'll be reading from Colossians 1, verses 3 to 14.
1: This morning's reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ricky.
0: Well, here at Cornerstone, we have four core values, doctrine, spirit-filled, relationships, and spiritual growth. And if you go to our website, this is what it says about spiritual growth, and it, it, it ties in all four of those values. And it's under the heading of a lifelong pursuit of spiritual growth. That's what we want. Spiritual growth is the result of being rooted in doctrine, empowered by the Spirit, and committed to relationships. It's not a destination, but a direction. It means growing in our love for God, for one another, and for our neighbors, next door and across the globe. We desire to see all people grow, whether they have yet to become Christians, or new in their faith, or seasoned saints. Spiritual growth doesn't stop with us, but results in a vibrant church, ministering in the community, freely sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and seeking to plant churches throughout the world as part of the Great Commission. And one of the things that we want to keep in mind and keep in front of us today in regards to spiritual growth is that it doesn't mean just an accumulation of knowledge about God. Now, knowledge is important, but knowledge by itself doesn't necessarily lead to fruitfulness. It doesn't necessarily lead to a changed life, which reflects Jesus Christ. And that's really uh, true fruitfulness, right? When Christ is formed in us and grows in us. Um, And that's what we're after, a fruitful life. We're after what Jesus told the disciples in John 15. He said... By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So we want fruit that glorifies the Lord. But how does the process of living fruitful Christian lives, how does that come about? Well, in our text, we have the, an opportunity to look into one of Paul's prayers. It's one of the many prayers that are in the New Testament, letters, and it's one of the richest, and most inspiring to read or to pray. And in verse 10, we read this. Ricky just read it. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And I believe that as we look at this passage this morning, we'll find that bearing fruit in every good work results from living God-centered lives. It results from living God-centered lives. If we live man-centered lives or me-centered lives, we will lack true fruit. We'll have little fruit that glorifies God. But if our lives are centered on, one, pleasing God, on doing His will, on living a life worthy of Him, we will bear God-honoring fruit that glorifies Him and it's a blessing to us. Then that may seem daunting, Right? Um, but we can be encouraged by the fact that Paul prayed for that. That's where it begins. That's where uh, that type of pleasing life and God-glorifying fruit comes for. It comes as we pray for it. That's, uh, we're, we're going to be teaching from a prayer, basically. So obviously, we need God's help in this. So let's begin with prayer. Lord, I do thank you for this church, and I thank you for the fruitfulness that has been here for 30 years in, in little and big ways. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we, we want to continue to grow and we want to continue to bear fruit, the fruit of Christ being formed in our lives, the fruit of you being glorified through that fruit, and the fruit of Christ-centered ministry to other people, to other Christians and to non-Christians, Lord. Father, we do pray for Jake and Julia this morning. Lord, thank you for their wedding. We pray that you bless their marriage, bless their honeymoon. Uh, Thank you for doing that. Thank you for everyone who served at the wedding, and what a wonderful time it was. Lord, we lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible is full of forming analogies, and there's one found in 2 Kings that I want us to keep in mind throughout this this message. Um, It says, and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. It will take root downward and bear fruit upward. And that's how, that's how true um, fruit grows. We must be firmly rooted. So there are four ways, my four points, that we can have our spiritual roots go down deep into the rich soil of God and of his grace and of his truth. And so one question you, you can be asking yourself, am I rooted in these truths? So here they are. Point one would be rooted in doing the will of God. Second one is rooted in a knowledge of God. Third one is rooted in the gospel of grace. And rooted in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. So these are four ways of having our lives centered around God, and they'll help us to bear fruit in two areas. One is God working fruit in us, right? Christ being more formed in us, but also working through us. He wants to minister to other people through his people, to bear fruit that way, both to the Christian and to the non-Christian. And here's the good news. God works in us and he works through us and he works despite us. You know, we're all he has to work with, right? So God God is used to working through weak and sinful people. But remember his agenda. His agenda in our lives is our spiritual growth and fruitfulness. And we we can't cause uh, spiritual growth but we can plant and water the seeds of God's grace from which God will work. And there's, there's some mystery in that. Here, here's another um, farming analogy in, in Mark 4. It talks about this mystery involved in the process of growing spiritually. And here it's actually talking about the gospel, and the, and the, which is the good news of the kingdom of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. You know, but that doesn't mean that we don't work. You know, Daniel mentioned last week that becoming fruitful requires effort on our part. And even though the farmer doesn't really understand the mystery of how growth occurs, and that he doesn't really cause it to grow, He's still working hard. You know, farmers are some of the hardest workers out there, right? But at the end of the day, it is God who brings about the growth. And so it's true in our lives. We work hard. We trust God. But he is the one who brings about the growth growth and the fruit. Now, this passage and this prayer is so chock full of spiritual truths that when you're praying it for yourself or for someone else, or maybe you're just reading the passage, sometimes you just have to stop and take a breath. Because it's it's full of these amazing riches that are in it. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. Paul tells the church at Colossae that we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that, and at this point, You know, if you're reading this passage, you should be leaning over, listening, right? What is Paul going to pray for? Because these aren't just prayers like you and I pray. These are spirit-inspired prayers. They're prayers of heaven. If you were to ask the Lord, Lord, give me a prayer to pray that I could pray regularly. Well, they're right here. Paul was praying one, and it's rich and deep. And there are three phrases that lead up to bearing fruit in every good work that are included in Paul's prayer. So here they are. The first one, that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Secondly, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And and third, fully pleasing to him. So in this first part of uh, Paul's prayer, he's praying that the Colossians would grow in in knowing and doing God's will, which is reflected in living in a way that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. And these these three things are all connected to bearing fruit in every good work. So seeking to live for God's glory rather than our own is what we as Christians are called to do. You know, fruitfulness, it comes from a kingdom orientation, a lifestyle of seeking to please God by doing his will. So what insight does our text give us about being rooted in God's will? Well, his prayer is that they would grow in the knowledge of God's will that they would have wisdom and understanding concerning it. You know, often when we think about God's will for our lives, we think about big decisions, right? Like, should I marry this person? Or what field of vocation should I go into? Or should I take this job? Or should I buy this house or this car? And those those obviously are, are important decisions, but the knowledge of God's will that Paul was praying about has more to do with walking in a manner worthy of God in everyday life. Doing God's will involves not only knowing what the will of God is, but the wisdom of how it actually works out in your life. And that's what Paul's praying for. So for instance, you know, how should I parent my children? Right? Especially during maybe challenging seasons. Or maybe you have a challenging child. Or maybe some of the teenagers are out there saying, what about a challenging parent? (laughs) Or, you know, God calls us to be people of honesty and integrity. Matt spoke from Psalm 51 today about that. Desiring truth in the innermost being. What should that look like at work and in my personal life? especially in gray areas, right? I mean, the black and white areas are somewhat simple, but it's just gray areas of life that we need God's will. We need his wisdom. How do I work for or work with a difficult person? I know that none of you have difficult bosses, right? Or how do I share the message of Jesus Christ with my friend? We we, kind of know what the will of God is, but... How does it actually get worked out in our lives? We need wisdom. And I think it's encouraging that, that Paul's telling us that we can grow in a knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And one of the ways that we do that is, is to pray, as Paul did in this prayer, to be filled with that. So that should be a regular prayer of ours. You know, sp- spoiler alert, like, the applic- part of the application of this message is in prayer, right? We're teaching from a prayer. But that should be combined with the habit of being in God's word on a regular basis. You know, last week our, our text was John 15, and Jesus said, if my word abides in you. And he actually says the same thing in John 8, where he says that Having God's word abide in us is actually an evidence that you're a disciple of Christ. And that comes about through reading and through studying and through meditating upon God's word. And when we do that, the spirit, through the word, imprints upon our hearts and minds the will and wisdom of God. John Piper describes it this way. He says, as we read and study God's word, the thinking of the Bible becomes our thinking. Our mind is renewed to the will and wisdom of God, and we can grow in that as we abide in God's word and as we pray for it. We should also be aware of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in doing the will of God. You know, last week, again, from John 15, Daniel mentioned Pruning is coming, right? It's one of the works of the Spirit in our life. That's how the vine dresser cultivates faith of fruitfulness in his plants. He prunes them. See, we, we are called to do God's will in God's way. We're called to do God's will in God's way. And as Christians, we want to do the will of God. If you're a believer, you want to do the will of God. But often, our sinful desires and motives hinder us. And the Lord is gracious to prune us. And often, it's in the area of motives. For instance, maybe you teach in the children's ministry. And maybe it's something you enjoy, and the kids really seem to respond to you. And then you overhear someone saying that a certain person in their child's favorite teacher in that class... who who that is, and it's not you. Will you allow that opportunity to be a time of faith, fruitful pruning in your life? A heart check, a, a motive check. Are you doing this for God's glory or for yours? Are you doing it for the good of the class or for your own reputation? Don't be unaware of the little prunings that go on in our life. They happen all the time. They are meant to help us to grow in God-glorifying fruitfulness. Well, we see in verse 10 that Paul continues his prayer by praying that the Colossians would increase in the knowledge of God. So that's our second point. Fruitfulness comes out of a right knowledge of God and a personal knowledge of God. That seems to be part of the meaning of this Greek word, knowledge. It's knowledge gained through firsthand experiential knowledge. You know, a, a non-Christian could actually open the Bible and find out certain facts about God, right? But this knowledge is more about those who are rooted in a covenant relationship with God. They walk with God, and through the Spirit and through the Word, they receive this knowledge about who God is. And and blessed be his name that he loves to reveal himself to us. We don't have to twist his arm. God loves to be glorified in the revealing of himself to us. So we should be encouraged, first of all, that he wants us to grow in, in an understanding of what his will is, and that he wants us to grow in this experiential knowledge of him. He will help us, but it will take work. You know, we live in the information age, and that is or can be a blessing. You know, there's been an explosion of information about everything, right? You know, you can go online and uh, find out how to be a better gardener or how to manage your time better or how to change your brakes, or how to grill chicken. It's all right there at your fingertips. And and it's good. It's a blessing from God. But God's people should prioritize the knowledge of God. God's people should prioritize the knowledge about God. We want our spiritual roots to go deep down into the soil of the glory of who God is. You know, one of the reasons that we often experience rich times of worship here at Cornerstone is that we sing songs and hymns that are weighty. That is, they express in their lyrics rich biblical knowledge about who God is and what he has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. And I thank God for those songs, whether they be the older ones or the newer ones but we don't want that to be the only place where we are fed on the knowledge of God. So when we read the Bible, we want to be asking, what does this passage tell us about God? Because the the Bible is about God and about his glory, because he is glorious. Now, it is framed in the story of his great plan of redemption of his people, but it's centered on him. There are other questions we should ask when we're reading a passage, but this is the most important one. And if you are a Christian, then you have a desire and a hunger for God and for a knowledge of God. That desire can grow or it can be made dull depending on how we feed it. But one of the ways that we can stoke the fire of that hunger is to feed our souls with descriptions of our glorious king. And that's one of the reasons I think that the Psalms are so popular. As you read them, they clearly declare that God is a God of majesty and a God of beauty and a God of strength and a God of glory and a God of mercy and a God of deliverance. The God of compassion and goodness. And we could go on and on and on about the glory, the essence of who God is. He is eternally glorious in his essence. And again, that's, that's why we have rich times of worship because we focus on that. But the psalm should not be the only place where we feed our souls the entire Bible is declaring the glory of God. And especially in the New Testament, it cries out about the glory of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We should learn to savor the knowledge about God. John Piper has a book called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. Scripture says that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. And we do so by thinking about and meditating on the Lord and his attributes. I know, I know, it's a radical thought. God's people thinking about God. But this is one of the ways that we have our spiritual roots go deep down into the soil of a God-centered life. We should think often about the most wonderful being in the world, our triune God. J.I. Packer says this about savoring or about biblical meditation. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes, and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. You might might think, well, there's a whole lot in there. Just open up your Bible and take time and go slowly in your reading of Scripture. Charles Spurgeon encourages us to meditate and study the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God who he calls his father. That's part of our calling as Christians. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, we will grow in our love and our worship of him. And this true knowledge of him will motivate us in our ministry to others out of our devotion to him. See, this experiential knowledge of God leads us to say that he is worthy, right? Isn't that what happens when you worship God? Uh, Or when you draw near to him in your devotional life? Or when you see him in the Psalms or in the scriptures? You see how Worthy he is. How glorious he is. And you want to go out and serve him. Serve other people in his name. Well, our third way of being God-centered is living in the good of the message of God's saving grace. This uh, passage here in Colossians is full of the good news of Christ. So in verses four to six, We read this, and again, this is full of either descriptions of the benefits of the gospel or actually uh, descriptions of the gospel, the good news message. Paul says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel is the fertile ground from which fruitfulness comes, both in our own lives and in the life that we share it with. And if you look back at that scripture that we just read, it says that in the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. And that was true in Paul's time, but it's also true in our time. You know, I pulled up an article from Newsweek yesterday. Newsweek is a liberal, secular magazine, but they had an article about Christianity in Iran. It's so, what's happening in Iran is so profound that it's being reported in a secular magazine. Yes. It says that the report, you know, pull it up later. It says that Christianity is growing faster in Iran than any other country in the world. I mean, you know, I didn't. It's I don't know if that's you know a categorical statement, but the truth is there. It is, and they basically say it's basically saying the mosques are empty in Iran, and and a part of that is just a disillusionment with Islam, right? It's not like all those people are going to Christianity. But a conservative estimate of what they call MBBs, which are Muslim background believers, is somewhere between 700,000 and a million people. And it, it could be greater. You know, you can't really do a religious survey in Iran, right? <laughs> See, the gospel is the seedbed of fruitfulness, So how can we sink our lives deep into its soil? Well, first, keep the gospel central in your life. I recommend reading Jerry Bridges' The Gospel for Real Life. It's on my top 10 list. It's a very theological and yet practical and easy-to-read book, and he will teach you how to preach the gospel to yourself every day. See, the goal is to live in the good of God's saving grace and to never lose sight of it. Look at verses 13 and 14 of our text. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, in the busyness and the challenge of life, we can lose sight of what happened to us when we were converted. You know, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress in the 1600s, he was also a good preacher. And he, in one of his sermons, he, taught, he told a story about a man who inherited five million pounds, which is a lot of money, you know, in today's dollars, right? And so this man is riding in his carriage to go into the city to get his inheritance. And five miles out, his carriage breaks down. And so he's walking into the city. And all that he's doing is saying, my carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. You just inherited hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's all you can think about. right? We, he lost sight of his great inheritance. And in the difficulties of this life, but also in the comforts of this life. Sometimes life can be too good if we lose sight of our great inheritance, the immeasurable blessing that awaits us in the future and which we can experience in part even now. This is part of that hope laid for us, up for us in heaven that the passage talks about. We were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son. We should take J.I. Packer's definition of meditation and call to mind and think about and dwell on the saving grace found in the gospel. It will remind us and refresh us in the greatness and the goodness and the blessing of our salvation. That really should be the foundation of our strength and joy in life. The joy and peace that results from being rooted in the gospel will bear fruit in us as well as be an opportunity to be... I'm sorry, let me take a step back. Living in the good of the gospel will liberate us to to live in the acceptance of God despite our failings and our our battle against sin. Jerry Bridges, in his book, says, the gospel rescues Christians from living a life of quiet desperation. That is the desperation that comes from a failure to grasp the forgiveness and acceptance that we have in Christ. God's will is not for you to be a person of quiet desperation, but to be a person of joy and peace and strength because you're living in the goodness of the gospel. We want to be like the prodigal son, not the, the elder brother, right? The elder brother tried to earn his salvation, The prodigal son was aware of the mercy and grace given to him. And we should live in the good good of that. And sometimes we can get discouraged because we share the gospel with others and it doesn't seem to affect them. Or maybe it it does, but not to the point of conversion. Well, take heart that there is power in the gospel seed, in the gospel message. And that we don't always see what is going on in a person's heart. I know that from my own testimony. You know, I heard the gospel message from my brother when I was a senior in high school, and I was convicted right away, but I did not yield my life to Christ. Three years later, I did. But in the meantime, God sent many people into my life, many Christians, and through their lives and their words, I was brought to faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So do not be discouraged about planting and watering the gospel seed in the people's lives. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to be better or bolder witnesses for Christ. But at the end of the day, our faith should rest in the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us to our last point. We need to be rooted in the love and power of the Spirit. I was talking with someone who had recently started to attend here at, at the church in the last year or so. And they made this comment to me. It wasn't, it wasn't a negative com- comment. It was, it was positive. They said about our church, he said, you all talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And I was thinking, we do? <laughs> and now I hope that his observation is correct because we are a Trinitarian church. We love and worship and adore the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In fact, the name of our denomination is Trinity Fellowship Churches. We need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we want to grow spiritually and be fruitful in ministry. The Spirit is so involved in the new covenant That Christ brought about by his death and his resurrection, that it says in Romans, it says, We serve God in the new way of the Spirit. Did you ever notice that all the things we're called to do as New Testament believers are to be done in the Spirit? We're to worship in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. We're to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. We're called to walk in spirit, to be full of the spirit, to keep step with the spirit. Now that can be overwhelming and intimidating if we don't think biblically. So what can give us confidence to be able to do those things? Well, one is the truth that if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Don't overlook that. Put your confidence in the truth that the spirit is, dwells within you. The call the Christian life is based on that. And so we should live by trusting that it is true, that the Spirit abides in us. And we should talk to ourselves about it. That is, we should remind ourselves about it. I love 2 Timothy 1, seven. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. It's talking about the Spirit in us producing those things. We should be aware, have an awareness that the Spirit is in us and He is with us. And in addition, if you feel like you lack His power and presence, you can pray for more of it. You can ask to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. See, there, there is an eternal fountain of grace and power that is constantly available to us through the person of the Spirit of God that we can draw upon and shame on us when we do not. So we need the Spirit's power to be fruitful in ministry. And I think the text very clearly shows us that we need both the love of the Spirit and the love of and the power of the Spirit. Now that phrase, love of the Spirit, may be unfamiliar. It actually says in verse 8, love in the Spirit. In Romans 15, it says the love of the Spirit. I think think it's the same thing. It's the love that comes from the Spirit of God in us. But often, you know, often we think of the love of the Father or the love of Christ, but this is the love of the Spirit. And Um, In verse 8, we see that this love in the Spirit was a characteristic of the church in Colossae. And we also see in verse 4 that love for other Christians was attributed to them as an evidence of their conversion. See, the church in Colossae was experiencing fruitful ministry because they were bearing the fruit of love. You want to be a fruitful person? Be a person who cultivates love. Tryon Edwards was a 19th century theologian and minister, and probably more important, he was the great-grandson of Jonathan Edwards. And in the introduction of the, I guess, the modern version of Jonathan Edwards' book entitled Charity and its Fruit, which is a great book, Tryon Edwards writes this, Love is the first outgoing of the renewed soul to God. We loved him. We love him because he first loved us. It is the sure evidence of a saving work of grace in the soul. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It lies at the foundation of Christian character. We are rooted and grounded in love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. That by which they became like their Father in heaven and fitted for his presence. For God is love. And heaven is a world of love. If you want to grow and be fruitful in ministry, then cultivate the attributes of love and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that would be 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, and Galatians 5, and 23. Examine your heart in light of those verses. And let God's word prune your heart and your life. So we we actually participate and cooperate with the pruning of our heart. Yeah, you know, we can wait till God comes and does that, right? I don't, I don't recommend that. We can actually participate in it by being in this word, allowing his word to prune us. Husbands And fathers, do you want to grow in leading your households and being fruitful in your household? Then cultivate this ministry of love, the attributes of love and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, one of the elders' goals for this short series is for us to see that spiritual growth leads to the fruit of service to God and to others. And when you examine the characteristics of love and the fruit of the Spirit, you will find that they have a common attribute of being oriented towards others and not oneself. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is gentle. Love thinks the best of others. Those can't be cultivated in the selfish soil of self-love. And a Spirit-filled lifestyle is grounded in an orientation towards others, towards God, and towards other people. Our text also mentions the power of the Spirit in verse eleven. And oftentimes, you know, we think about the power of the, of the Spirit, right—just some big manifestation outward. But no, he's he's talking about the inward power of the Spirit. We see in verses eleven and twelve being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. See, we desperately need this power, this strength and might in our hearts to live and be fruitful as Christians. Paul refers to this this power again in, in Ephesians 3 and he uses the same Greek word, dunamis. He says, According to the riches of God's glory, Paul prays that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you are being, being rooted and grounded in love? See spiritual growth and fruitfulness come from being strengthened in our inner person, in our soul, in our heart. It's a strength that comes from Christ dwelling within us by his word and by his spirit it's really the It's really the true strength of the believer. Paul says this in, in, Paul says it in this way at the end of Colossians one he says Christ within us, the hope of glory. This is true spiritual strength and fruitfulness, being rooted in Jesus Christ and love. See, we're we're weak in ourselves, and we will always be weak in ourselves, but if we are rooted in Christ and his love and his power, we can live in God-glorifying ways because this is our anchor and our refuge and our great strength, and we should put our faith and our confidence in it, that Christ is in us. And I believe that part of the work of God, part of the work of the Spirit in our lives, especially in sanctification, is to strip away the things that we draw strength from, or we take refuge in, or that we take comfort from that aren't connected to Christ. Part of his work is to strip those things away. Some of you are weak and discouraged and weary because you're relying on other things and not on the indwelling Christ. He is our anchor. He is our spiritual strength. If that is you, cooperate with the work of God as he weans you from those things and hold fast to Christ alone. Well, in closing, I want to mention a few ways that I think uh, that we can apply this teaching. And before we do, I want to look at a quote from Nito Kabin, who's actually the president of High Point University here in North Carolina. And he just had an interesting quote. He said, one of the great reasons people cannot mobilize themselves is that they try to accomplish great things. Most worthwhile achievements are the result of many little things done in a single direction. So that's encouraging to me. It's just a reminder that as we think about these applications, that they will bear fruit in our lives when we build small but consistent habits into our life. If you're faithful in doing them, you will be fruitful in your life. See, there's power in being faithful in little things that you do consistently. And when it comes to spiritual growth, we need to be intentional. So here, I have four quick steps, four quick, um, hopefully helps. The first is prayer. Our, our text is a prayer, right? So, based on the things we discussed, things that are in this passage, one we should pray the prayers of the epistles. You know, there, uh, there there are many of them. The major ones are Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, Colossians 1. You know, my friend Dave Burnett, I think he prays Colossians 1 every day for his family. If you're going to pick one prayer to pray, it's a pretty good one. It's so rich so much in it. Do you want to know how to pray for your children? Pray these prayers. Yeah, you can pray for other things, but again, these are the prayers of heaven. These are the, the most important things in life that we should be praying for. So pray the prayers of the epistles. Secondly, pray that you might know God's will and know God better. There's actually in Ephesians 1, which is one of those prayer, in verse 17, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that, the, that God will give you a spirit of wisdom. So just regularly ask for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And then he goes on and he says, having the, the eyes of our heart enlightened to know the ways of God. So we, can, we should covet that in our, our prayer, that we can actually pray to know God better. Like from the inside out, as the Spirit brings illumination to us. It happens as we read the Bible, but it also happens as we pray. Also, pray to be strengthened with power in your inner being by the Holy Spirit through Christ dwelling in your heart. Pray and believe God for this ongoing work of the Spirit to strengthen us through the indwelling Christ. Pray for it regularly and trust God for it. When you're feeling weak, Lord, strengthen me in the inner being by your Spirit. He will. And you'll live in the good of it. So that's the first one, pray. Secondly, drink deeply. Learn to savor the greatness and the glory of God develop some system that you can regularly turn to during your idle time. Now, let me spell that. It's not I-D-O-L. right? It's I-D-L-E. But what you do during your idle time may actually reveal your idle. Right? <clears throat> but I'm talking about when you're driving, when you're waiting in line, when you're waiting while your child has, its, has their music lesson. You know, during times like that, we have lots of that time. Don't automatically go to your phone. right? Don't automatically turn on the podcast or the radio. I'm not saying those things are bad, I do them. But have a habit that you learn to fill your mind with great thoughts of God. And that, there's two steps to that. First of all, you can do the old-fashioned way, Write it down on an index card, you know, a verse about God, or just, an a- just have an attribute that you're dwelling on. That's the first step. Have it. Or on your phone. On your phone. I put a lot of them on my phone. So if you see me checking my phone, I'm either probably checking a sports score <laughs> or maybe one of those, one of those verses. But the second step is to train yourself to go and to think and to dwell upon the glory and the goodness and the beauty of God that is found there. Here's one example, Psalm 62, 7a. I just picked it out of the Psalms. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in, in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now, we read that in the morning and we're encouraged by it. But what I'm encouraging you to do is take a verse like that and make it your regular dwelling place. Train yourself. Develop that habit. Third, start a list of books that you want to read. Get the list down. And at least have some of them centered on, on a book that is talking about an attribute of God. And then just, just start, whatever one's at the top. Even if it takes you six months to read the book, you're making progress. And actually what I found out is, if you read six pages of a day, six pages a day from a book, you'll read that book in, in most books one to two months. Um, so I, I, I suggest, hey, start with what I call the modern classics, you know, J.I. Packard's Knowing God, R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God, anything from John Piper, you know, I just read a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, but get your list and then start on it. And always have a book that you're reading to feed your soul with the knowledge of God. And then the last one, build relationships with non-Christians. This is the fruit of the gospel. So we do want to share the gospel as we're kind of coming and going and meet people. But surveys show that one of the biggest ways that people come to Christ is through a trusted friend. So be intentional about this. Actually make a list. And this this can kind of be embarrassing or maybe even convicting. Like each list, how many non-Christians do I really have a relationship with? But make that list, whether it's big or small. And then be intentional when... Developing a relationship with them, uh, and go out to. I like. I just go out to lunch with them, um, and you know, I'm not. I'm not very good at. Um, if I have 30 seconds to share the gospel with a stranger, I, I'm just not very good at that, right? You know, if if you're Martha Bastick or you're Katrina Walker, right? They're they're two of our evangelists. Like they're very good at that. But what I found is, you go to lunch with somebody and you enter into their life, you will end up talking about spiritual things, things that really matter. And, and if you do that, just little things, do that once a month, and you do that faithfully and consistently, in one year, you've had tremendous impact in the lives of people. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the things that make us fruitful. Your word, your spirit, your people. Lord, as a community of faith, let us encourage one another to grow so that in our lives and through our lives, you are glorified, amen.